With us is Lisa Headley, the founder and creator of the Mayflower Spa. This is Lisa Headley's strategies for dealing with stress. Hello. Hello there. How are you? Well, if this isn't the most glorious weather, I don't know what that to is, say. That, that is true, and you can legitimately say that this is transitional weather. This is just the other, shall we say, extreme of the yes. cooler version. That's true, and we forget that it's April, and then all of a sudden it like practically snows again in May, right? And we go, <gasps> but no, it's beautiful. It's cool. No, this is this is absolutely great. Is is it? Are you finding that people around you are almost immediately less stressed because of the weather? Or uh, there's just no question about it. We, I was just discussing this today. I was having a whole conversation with a group of um, practitioners with whom I was uh, on retreat, um, meaning teachers, yoga teachers, and actually a couple of psychologists and um, one of whom was very interesting because they do um, they work a lot with yoga and mood to enhance and to alleviate uh, sort of pathologies of mood as they put it and the one thing we could all agree on as we were sitting basking in the sunshine was that there's just nothing like a gorgeous day to lift everybody's spirits and it just sort of melts all the yuck like the toxic yuck it builds up, and it's really lovely. Yeah, and I think heat is more effective at doing that than cold. Oh, my, yes. Well, think about it. I mean, this is one of those things I love. It's just a law of nature. The warmth, the heat, the sun, it melts things. It opens them up. It softens them. Right. Period. End of histoire. Which, incidentally, is what yoga does, or forms of exercise where you're you know, aware of breathing and you're aware of opening yourself up. Hmm, interesting. And they say that before you do any kind of a fast, you know how I feel about cleanses and fasts, but they do say, if you're going to do them, um, that internal oleation, meaning softening your tissues from the inside, is the thing to do before you start the fast, because then your body can release toxins more readily. So, same principle, right? Just this of the warmth and openness as opposed to constricted, cold, tight, you know, hunkering down within yourself. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I would like to um, see it in pra- I'd just be curious to see it in practice, you know, if somebody takes a whack at an intractable problem in good weather. <laughs> well, I, you know, I mean, you we, know we, one, we of the sp- thing, one of the things we got to, though, in our little discussion of mood and weather was that for some people who are really depressed, especially for people of a certain, um, what we in Ayurveda call, well, a certain constitutional types. Mm-hmm. The hot weather is very disturbing. So, you know, any kind of extremes of weather can disturb various people. I mean, wind can be very soothing. A, a war, you know, a warm breeze can be very soothing to one person, but somebody who is constitutionally hotter and heavier and denser, um, that can be very aggravating. Right, you know, and overly heating. So there, there are obviously different types that respond to weather in different ways. But there's no question that a beautiful sunny day makes most people really happy. Right, and but we can't prescribe at- that as a stress reliever because then we'd all have to move to, um, you know, Santa a perpetually Barbara. Perpetually sunny. A perpetually no, but sunny let me climate. tell you something. Having lived in a perpetually sunny climate, the grass is greener on the other side because I remember just longing for a day when it was gloomy and close and cool and rainy. I just wanted that kind of a day so badly. 
and you know it's all the sweeter as we know because it's been bleak and gray and all of a sudden it's just unbelievably green and beautiful all right well i i have to say that we we need to test that as well because it could also be i i i have lived in both climates and i've always maintained see, i i don't know if it's a question of un age certain okay oh because we go into our colder years have, we need warmth I have gotten to, I have been the biggest proponent of, please, I need transition. Please, I couldn't live in L.A. I couldn't live in the Caribbean. I mean, I've spent extended time in these places where Mm -hmm. it has been absolutely lovely. And I have always come out going, I need the change of season. I, you know, I must have the transition. And um, let's just say that my respected elders looked at me as though I was quietly insane, but they were good enough not to say anything. Mm -hmm. But now you've reached that elder age. (laughs) What? Now you've reached the elder age, and you realize. Apparently, uh-huh. I, I don't. I, I, yeah. I don't know that I can be respected. Do you know that the name Jill also means downy, bearded, or youthful? That's Think hilarious. about that. Okay, so um, I have <laughs> downy, uh, bearded. Having, I like that. Having reached this particular age, I would say in the last couple of years, but most um, noticeably. As it warmed up this time, mm. I was absolutely happy, but I noticed, and this could just be me, but I noticed a real um, reticence about going through the seasonal transition on the other end again, you mean in a different way. What? You mean when it's going to be winter again? Yeah. Yeah, it I just did it just in a different myself. way, and and mentally I thought, you know, if this really matters to you, you better take steps. And that I mean, it's it's only been two days, but it's actually on the, you know, re-examine and potentially take steps burner rather than the oh ha ha ha, you know, you say this every year, forget about it. Mm. So we'll see. Yeah, well, I, I I'm really I don't like winter. I have a really hard time with winter. Ah, well, I think I did a, a pretty good job this winter um, of figuring out how to stay warm and how not to distress too much about the cold weather because I hate cold weather. But um, we can talk about that when it gets cold again. Yes. Um, but for now, you know, there are some people who really hate the heat. You no, know, you're the absolutely heat right. It's extremely and aggravating to, to people. Uh, and that's very stressful. <laughs> Right, so in fairness, instead of yammering on about how great this is, maybe we should uh, offer some, <laughs> some strategies. To those. No, I, I, you know what I think? I think that it falls into that category of one has to find ways to just be in wherever you are. And if you live here and you live in a seasonal place, as we do, then you have to find ways to enjoy every season in some way. And it's, You could find physical reasons to love it. You can find... Um, you know, goofy reasons to love it. Ooh, at this time of year, I can now, you know, clean out my cupboards and that makes me feel good. You know, just you've got to find those kinds of strategies to help yourself through things that you already know you don't like. So if you, if you know that you're predisposed to like, oh, it's going to get hot and I hate hot weather, blah, 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 then line up some really good indoor activities next to a fan or air conditioning if you have it. You know, you just, at every stage and part of your life the, the, my number one strategy for dealing with that stress is you know avoid disappointment <laughs> plan ahead figure out ways to sort of 
stave it off at the pass before you get too bleak about it. Now, there are some real physiological responses to weather. I mean, in the winter, we, some of us study, suffer from real seasonal affective disorder, which is real. But that, too, as real as it is, it can also be certain vitamin deficiencies, and you can help yourself with certain foods and things. So, again, we'll talk about winter when we get back to winter. But Right. Um, you and know. is there anything to talk about just just in terms of if if people don't like the heat, you know it, it inverted is there something you know if if people don't like warm or don't like transition are there things that they should be doing well transition is a whole other subject and we've t- touched on it a little bit in the last couple of weeks where transitions are extremely important you you need to prepare your body internally externally prepare your mind for the season that's coming and I, I mean, I think we all experience this. I mean, it gets hot, and suddenly I think, oh, I don't. What clothes do I wear? I don't have any clothes for this. I'm, I'm uncomfortable. I'm hot. Ugh, everything's itchy. These clothes are too hot. And then when it's fall and I'm transitioning back into winter, I think, ooh, what, what do I wear for this? You know, every single season I seem to have the same question, and it takes that couple of weeks to get into the rhythm of what you're going to wear. I mean, I'm picking a, a silly, but tangible example, and that's just part of the process. So to a certain extent, the transition is about learning to enjoy the process of transitioning and not being freaked out by that. So some people, I find, who are really freaked out during transitional periods, they're freaked out during any transitional period, whether it's a transition you know, specific to seasons or it's because kids are moving out of the house. Or you know, any kinds of transitions freak certain people out. So for those people, we work on strategies for transitions. And as I say, really effective transition strategies are to find ways to enjoy the process, to not think about where you're going, you know, don't be focused on where you're going, but focus on every single step of getting there, as though that were its own complete thing. That helps. So, for example, we're in this transition now where, you know, tomorrow it could be 50 degrees and raining. So, you know, don't quite clean out your closet of winter clothes yet and find a way to enjoy those rubber boots when it's free, you know, when it's going to be cold in two days and raining. And um, just, you know, play with your mind a little bit so that you can be a little more flexible and open to, to what's going to happen and not be so wedded to the idea that, okay, it's warm, the trees are budding, everything's happening, it should be summer, I'm there. Because that's, you know, you're bound for disappointment. So that's my little transitional speech. But as far as weather is concerned, you know, if you're a type that's completely discombobulated in hot weather, well, again, proper preparation prevents you know what kind of performance. You have to, you know, the five Ps, <laughs> silly little thing, proper preparation prevents blank poor performance. You, um, you know, line up your activities so that you don't, so that in the heat of the day, you're in a nice, cool place. Which is what other um, cultures do. Sure, but we but we seem we, we we seem singularly. I mean, this is a gross generalization, so I apologize to anybody if I'm offending them. But I have never seen a set of people less able to adjust to that concept than a bunch of Americans. Well, maybe not Southerners, but well, Northerners. Yeah, well, the Southerners are so used to the heat, and it's so miserable, you know, in the summer. But that's so it's by absolute necessity they've been coerced into that kind of behavior, but really all it is 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 respecting nature's rhythm. Right. That's all it is. That's what, the, that's what Italians do when they take that siesta and they, you know, all those things 
you're talking about that seem to be culturally void here, it's because we like to not pay much attention to the natural rhythms of anything. And we've yeah. gotten, and in many respects, you know, I always have to say, I don't want to, ra- I hate ragging too much on our, this culture, this, this culture, that, because there's great things that come out of it. We're, you know, I, I, right now I don't really know what those are, so don't ask me, but I'm sure there's good things that come out of it. But I wasn't most, going to say a word. <laughs> but mostly we do disrespect the rhythms of life. We do it in so many ways in this, in, in our culture. And they are, um, they're praised. You know, you get, you actually get rewarded for behaviors which ignore natural rhythm in this culture. And that's what's crazy. So one has to find personal ways to just get around that so that you can go back to living a more rhythmic life because that is what is more satisfying. And that is what allows you to have the softness and the openness to deal better with stresses when they pop up because they do and they will. Or to figure out how to use your stress so that it becomes a transformational agent so that it helps you instead of being something terrible all the time because the other thing we've done, and we, we have talked about this, but we've turned stress. We have a whole show called Strategies for Dealing with Stress. We've turned the concept of stress into this just absolutely demoniacal, horrible thing. Well, you know, in my sort of tradition of looking at these healing things, there is no, nothing is categorically bad. Some, one person's poison is another man's medicine. And so for some people who are very lethargic, they could use a little more stress to get them moving. Now, that doesn't tend to be the predominant type in our culture, but for some people that is true. So, and I've said this before, and I will say it again. I, get, when, when, whenever this comes up, I know of a couple of people, and I, I know them. And they're, you know, they, they, they are high, they are high performers in their chosen profession, and they just can't do it unless, you know, somebody's got stuck a few pins in them. Right. Well, I think we and do all know those people. That, yeah, and that's again, uh, one man's poison is another man's. Uh, yeah, I mean, some people. And for some people, that ends up being deadly in the end. Right. Because for some people, what they do is they bury so much stuff, and you can't bury stuff for too long because stuff comes up. The stuff you bury comes back to haunt you. The one thing that's definitely true in nature and in human beings, and pretty much everything that's true in nature is true in human beings, but a very obvious one is that if you don't transform your sort of emotions, into something useful and thereby get rid of them, they will store away in fat cells of your body, which is actually where they get stored, in in various places. And they will pop up as cancers. They will pop up as diseases. They will pop up as crises in your world. Now, I always have, when I say things like that, I always have to remind people not to then put this hat on that says, ooh, so everyone with cancer, you know, they did something terrible and they deserve it. That is just cockamamie nonsense. There are a million and five reasons why we hold things the way we do in our bodies, and some we can control better than others. So that, I just wanted to get that out there, because that point of view makes me crazy. And I do, I've worked with a couple of cancer survivors who say that that is one of their just pet peeves, is this concept that somehow they brought this on themselves. Yeah. Um, We've got to get away from that kind of thinking, because that is not what is meant by you know, you, you're in control of 
of your stuff because you're in control of a certain amount of your stuff and then you're not in control of other amounts. So I was with one of these teachers I was with was saying that, you know, there are some patients that he has who, um, in fact, he quoted one who just had an, just so much grief in their life, I mean, literally so much grief that they had these terrible skin sores, like a, a kind of a psoriasis condition, but that turned into these weeping sores, like their body was literally weeping. And they, they tried to get to the bottom of it, and there had been some traumatic things in their earlier life, and they worked with that, and they you know, looked around at all these different causes. And this practitioner said, you know, it suddenly occurred to me that this person, this person was the ch- child of, of Auschwitz survivors. And, um, you know, that culturally, the, their people had had this trauma and oppression in, in, in their ancestry, you know, in, his, in this person's immediate ancestry, which affected them profoundly. So, you know, that's just a reality. So what do you do about that? Well, you have to learn ways to transform that toxic yuck of emotion into something else. And so work has to be done to get there. So, you know, that's a strategy for dealing with stress, all right. You've got to transform the stress into something useful for you. Transform all emotions. Learn to transform everything that happens to you into something useful. And I'm not saying that, like, ooh, we'll just turn everything into something good, because howdy-doody, we know that's not happening. Right. But we can make an effort in our lives to be very aware that we need to take every bit and piece and look at it in numerous ways and try to make sure that it doesn't just get bundled up and stuffed up somewhere where it's going to come back to haunt us. So I'm, I'm very into this concept of transformational energy towards keeping our channels clear, you know, keeping ourselves sort of eliminating properly, if you want to say it that way. I mean, physically, our bodies do that all the time. We eat food it gets transformed in our bodies into the usable stuff that floats around and nourishes tissue and nourishes brains and you know gives us energy to function during the day and the rest of it comes out you know where right that is a transformational process we've taken something that we've put into our bodies an apple and we've transformed it into all these different materials that we need and what we don't need how it goes now if you don't eliminate properly where does that go it blocks up and it blocks up and it blocks up and if you Forgive me, but if you get, you know, truly constipated with things that you can't eliminate, what happens? You get sick. So you can, you know, translate that into perceptive, perceptual things that we take in. So if you take in too much crap from the television or too much fighting with your partner and you don't process it and transform it, it's really hard. It's it's impossible to metabolize. Okay. Um, we've got a few minutes left, you know, four or five, and I just want to ask you again, strategy-wise, mm-hmm. dealing with this uh, potential with 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 this flu situation that's going on. Because Makes it's me nervous. What makes me nervous? Right, except that if you, uh, I mean, if 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 the first response is just to freak out, then you miss the numbers. If you right. look at well, the numbers, well, this is a useful it's, thing. The first thing you do is you say to yourself, okay, every year or a couple of years, the press turns something into the next great pandemic that's going to kill us all. 
right? So first, right? So Pretty much. We can do is say, okay, been there, done that. Then you have to be a little more cautious. I mean, I don't know. I think that you have to just make decisions that work to make you as the least neurotic that you can. So, you know, if you live in northwest Connecticut and, you know, or southern Massachusetts, and you're pretty much in your car and you're not really around, and you're, you know, I think your chances of this become diminished by, you know, it becomes infinitesimal. And you've just got to remember that there are these practical realities. Now, if you live in a big city and you're taking the subway, your chances go up, but not astronomically. And you just have to be practical about it. I don't have any other strategies for that, except that at a certain point, we have to all learn to turn the TV off and just say, okay, enough of this. It's a reality. It's out there. I could also get hit by the bus. Okay. I'm sorry. That's no, no, that, that's exactly. It's not very scientific. It's just practical, and that you know that brings me back to this concept of taking input. Okay, but like my theme for the day: transformation, right. taking input, transforming it into things that are useful. It's useful to remember that there are diseases out there that are communicable that you can get. There happens to be one that's particularly virulent that's out there. Keep yourself away from situations where you know you might be exposed to it, whatever that might be, like going to the Queens High School where there's 12 cases of it. If you're taking subways regularly, buy some Purell. If you're really nervous, wear one of those masks they're wearing in Mexico City. The worst thing that happens is you look stupid. But if that's going to make your level of anxiety go down, fine. Then use that, do that. But then take the rest and somehow transform it so that it it goes away because it's not useful. It's not useful to sit and stew in this just rampant anxiety. Right. And, you know, got to put things into perspective. Well said. All right. This has been Lisa Headley, the founder and creator of the Mayflower Spa, Lisa Headley's Strategies for Dealing with Stress.